Welcome to They Just Get It. My name is Tyler Chisholm, and I'm honored to have a very interesting guest on this morning. And I say interesting, it's a gentleman I met recently through some mutual friends, some other They Just Getters, people that have been on the podcast. And we had a coffee a couple weeks ago, and I left inspired with that feeling of like, what more can I do with my life? And I think that that is a wonderful thing to leave somebody with after a coffee chat. So I would, I'm very honored to introduce Mr. Blaine Penny. Uh, honored to be here and uh, looking forward to having a great chat with you today. Totally. It's a, be- it's a beautiful morning. It's not raining for once. <laughs> Calgary. You remember Calgary it used to rain in June, then it kind of would be nice in July. What, yeah. what, I think that rule seems to have slid by the wayside. Um, Blaine is the president and CEO of Mito Canada. So before we go too far, maybe we want to give the audience a little bit of backstory. Tell us about Mito Canada, what it's about, and we'll get into the history and how you ended up to be in the president role. You, you bet. Uh, so Mito Canada is a, a charity for mitochondrial disease and has three areas of focus. Its uh, first area of focus is around raising awareness about the disease. Uh, secondly, it's about supporting families uh, and patients that are, are dealing with the disease and living with it. And then thirdly, uh, as we'll probably talk a bit more about in, in the podcast here, it's a, a very complicated disease. And there's some serious research needed to done needed to be completed. So funding research is the is the third component that that we focus okay, on. Okay, in terms of your pillars. Yeah. And again, because uh, some cheat notes here, because we had a good chat before. You've been involved with this. You helped found it about ten years ago. Yes. So as far as awareness around this disease, like you just started this ten years ago in in Canada, or is this North America, or just Canada that you're in, in Canada? Okay. Is this something like low awareness? Are we just starting to really get our eyes on what this what this thing is and what it's about? Yes, yes, and it it's a disease that affects about one in four thousand people. So it has a similar that's a real num- that's a real number. Yeah, it's similar to say cystic fibrosis, uh, but one of the big challenges and hence the need for the awareness is that. Uh, it's estimated that less than 10% of the people get a diagnosis because of the complexity of the disease and how the symptoms are presented. So that awareness in the general public is really important, but also even for frontline physicians to be able to recognize those symptoms to be able to refer um, to to specialists that, that can diagnose the disease. So re- so presents as other things, presents as sometimes the symptoms should, like this, this, and you shared with me that this this is what you believe and what the, the, the world's starting to believe, that this is a root cause for a lot of other things that maybe are diagnosed differently or show up or present as such and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. primary mitochondrial disease affects one in 4,000 and it's genetically inherited. So there's a, there's a mutation or a combination of mutations or variants on a gene that, that can cause the disease. Uh, and then there's a second, what we call secondary mitochondrial disease, where mitochondrial dysfunction is a, is a secondary component in, uh, in the disease itself. And, and examples of some of those secondary uh, diseases are neurodegenerative diseases like ALS, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, to autism, to certain cancers, to diabetes. So it's, it affects many of the chronic diseases that, that we're commonly aware of um, in, in, the, in the general public. That arguably have had a lot more airtime. Absolutely. That we're a lot more yeah. aware of in terms of like, you know, like, I don't want to don't minimize this, but it's kind of brand awareness. These, certain diseases have a lot more publicity around them and awareness, mm-hmm. which then helps people go, oh, wow, maybe this is me. Yeah. And helps doctors to, to kind of bridge that gap for yeah. people. And, and it's a disease that affects your body's ability to produce energy. So what doctors and researchers are seeing, that the, the further they go upstream to look at the mechanism and cause of, of the disease and, and how it's manifesting, they're seeing that where there's uh, improper energy production at the cellular level, there's a whole host of problems that are happening downstream, and that's what we're seeing in these other diseases. So I think as the, uh, as, as the brains and the knowledge converge, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be finding more of those answers in time for sure. 
That's interesting. So a little bit grade nine biology, the mitochondria, that's the that's kind of the engine of the cell. That's where, that's where it starts. Absolutely. It's the engine of the cell, the battery of the cell. Okay. And if that starts, yeah, you can imagine that, you know, if, if, if that's not working, everything then becomes compromised. It's like, it's like holding your breath. <laughs> you can only do it for so long. And then it's a series of, of systems that will fail in consequence, but that was the start of it. <laughs> exactly. And, and this is where, uh, the symptoms vary so broadly. So some people maybe just have uh, minimal impact on their function in the mitochondria. So they can still get through life relatively normally, shall we say, but may present with just maybe sort of a little more lethargic and sort of present with like, maybe it's kind of like You've got a V8, fatigue. but it's maybe only firing on six cylinders. Yeah, so they can get you, by. You can still get to work, yeah. but the car, it's just not running the way it should. Exactly, whereas okay. other people... Um, can, on the severe end of the disease, can can suffer major major brain injury, uh, you know, muscle myopathy, where they're just they they they, they uh, they're bound to a wheelchair and can't walk. They just have real muscle weakness to heart, uh, to liver function, to GI function. So it, it affects your 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 body's uh, main energy intensive uh, organs. Okay, which is crippling when it comes to the yes. impact on that. And I know for you, this is a very personal. This is a very per- this 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 condition. This di- is it, sorry. Is it is it a disease? It is a disease. Yes. This disease is very personal for you. I understand that you got involved with this, not by accident. You didn't stumble on it. You were th- it was it was you were thrust into this world. You want to maybe share a little bit of that story with the audience? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and this goes back eleven years uh, to when my son was about four years old. Perfectly normal, healthy boy. Uh, literally wakes up one morning with a sore stomach that looked like he was in, in the appendix area of the appendix. He was having some sort of uh, appendicitis, so we take him to the hospital. The doctors uh, do an ultrasound on his appendix. They can't see it, so they figure it's either hidden uh, or it had ruptured, and they said, hey, let's just be safe. Let's go take that out and wheel him in the surgery, and they take his appendix out. The appendix was fine. Uh, Evan wasn't, unfortunately. He didn't wake up from the, the surgery. They initially thought he had a reaction to the morphine and weren't too concerned. Uh, but as time slipped by, um, Evan did not come around, slipped into a coma, suffered a severe brain injury, and it took about a week before he even opened his eyes again. And and when he did, he was uh, basically stiff as a board as a result of this this brain injury. He was just you know, hypertonic, all of his muscles were turned on and he was just... So just under full, his his poor little body was under full contraction. Full contraction, wow. yeah. And you said brain, traumatic brain, was that because of lack of blood flow or lack of oxygen or a combination? So again, this is one of the challenges. There's, there's so There were so many things going on at that time. Uh, we'll never quite really okay. know what, what happened, but uh, what we did know and what we could observe from the MRIs that they were doing is that Evan had severe... Uh, impact the white matter of the brain and uh, and what uh, what was happening was it was almost like an autoimmune attack on the brain so the the brain um, the uh, Evan's body was attacking his brain uh, so we we hit that really hard with steroids in the in the early days and they um, and that you know in it took it took a couple of weeks before they they diagnosed Evan with a um, a neurological disease at that point um, based on on what they were seeing in the brain and and that disease was called ADEM which is uh, acute disseminated encephalomyelitis so it's kind of like a one-time severe autoimmune attack on the brain like an okay. like an MS thing right and and in theory but like a very severe episode a very simple exactly an episode okay. uh, and in theory nine out of ten kids would fully recover so we we're just like okay this is not great. This was However, bad, but we can deal with it. But we can deal with it. Yeah. So, okay. so we kind of switch gears into let's make Evan better and uh, let's rehab him back to health. 
And so that's what we're doing. And uh, and unfortunately, Evan, instead of improving, started uh, getting worse, uh, developing seizures, and to a point where he was seizing hundreds of times a day. He was basically just just seizing and and recovering, seize recover. And we just, you know, we, he was clinging to life. We just didn't know where this was going or what was going to happen. And, and this is your four-year-old, not to over overemphasize, this is your four-year-old was a perfectly healthy, quote-unquote, yep. vibrant boy, little boy. And now all of a sudden, this poor little guy is going through this trauma. Like, as parents, I can't I can't even put, begin to put myself in what that must have been like. Yeah. You know, when Evan was born, he had a major heart defect and had open-heart surgery. So that... Um, and, and he fully recovered from that. So that was something that I would say that mellowed us, mellowed us as parents. Um, so it took a bit of the edge off in terms of, you know, pure panic out, out of the gate. But, you know, when I look back, I, I think we were just so shell-shocked with what was going on. And we're like, okay, we just we just got to deal with the information we have in front of us and, and looking for every, you know, pinnacle of hope that we can here of, of making Evan, uh, improving Evan's health. Uh, but was when yeah, things, you don't almost yeah. have time to, to dwell on it. Just no, you, you get it, out there and, and, you, and just, you deal with it. So in the moment of just like, what yeah. are we doing today to help fix that? What what, uh, what career? Like, what was your career? Obviously, we know where you're. What you're doing today? What were you working at at that time? So my background's in engineering. So I was working as a civil engineer for okay. for a large engineering firm. Did you have to take like I'm just always understanding the reality of real of, of life and you know like be honest we have to keep a roof over our head. Did you take time off work? Were you able to to really focus on that or were you literally just juggling multiple things at that time? Yeah, it, it was a combination of those things. So at at first, uh, um, you know, I mean, in, in the moment of of when this all went down, you know, we were, we were 24 seven at the hospital. Yes, I can um, imagine. And uh, but then once we kind of got into rehab mode, we we're just like, okay, we had to figure. Out, there's a sort of a new normal here of how we're going to split our time. Uh, my wife basically just stepped away from work altogether. We were actually both working for uh, an engineering firm called Worley Parsons, and okay. they were phenomenal um, in supporting us through this. I, I'll give blatant plugs. I love when companies, again, support their employees when the, when when that thing comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and, and they, especially they took, with family. Yeah, and they they were incredible. So they said, "You do whatever you need to do to look after your son's health, and don't worry about the work here." Uh, so so I I continued to work. Um, until we had some answers, because we just didn't know from day to day where things were going, and, and we kind of got into a bit of a groove on the rehab front, and and we just worked with that. But then we realized this was a longer term play. It was going to be, we had a long road ahead of us. And and I at that point said I I, remember, I was actually out at a construction site, and we're, we're uh, I'm a geotechnical engineer, so we're we're drilling, um, p- putting foundation foundational piles into the ground. And I remember uh, being on this job site and uh, at the end of the day, as I was driving home, I thought, wow, I, I need to focus solely on Evan and our family to figure out how uh, we're going to adjust our lives to deal with the challenges that we have ahead of us. So I, I took a, a, that summer off, and I, uh, uh, it, was, it was about uh, an equi- two two month break there. So this is about eleven. This is eleven years. Eleven ago. years ago, yep. Yeah. And then this was like, okay, we need Evan needs a wheelchair. Uh, we need a wheelchair accessible house. We need uh, all these different pieces of equipment around it. So we had to figure out how to how to put all these pieces together. So we took that time to regroup as a family and say, okay. Let's brace for the let's brace for the long haul and start looking at yep. what what pieces. Was there a good eco, was there a strong ecosystem to support you on that? Like whether it was government or you know the healthcare services, like or were you guys not to again not to go down another rabbit hole, but were you guys kind of on your own? We were on our own. Okay, absolutely. Okay, and uh, we there there is a great ecosystem out there, but it's not obvious how to access it. 
That's, okay. what, that's uh, what we quickly learned. Um, okay. Alberta is a great place to be in terms of accessing uh, the care and supports required. However, uh, it's, it's not obviously available, and you have to seek it out and demonstrate the need that you have. It's there, but the navigation part is challenging. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So fortunately, we, we did meet some other people uh, that also had mitochondrial disease. We met another family that reached out right away. And also um, through the Calgary Cerebral Palsy Association, they were they were fantastic with helping us navigate some of the supports that were available in terms of just day-to-day living. Which is like not feeling alone. That That in itself is like... Come on, like talk about you said, you know, then what's the number one thing? Finding little gleams of hope, talking to other people, they can at least say, hey, don't worry about this part. We can help you. That's huge in a time like that. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the, the biggest challenges, we, we didn't know what we we're dealing with. We had no idea what. Uh, yeah, we're talking about this today with today's knowledge, but yep. thinking about it then, you were looking forward, not having a clue. Is this going to go away? Is this going to change in a month? Is this yep. not going to change? That That's cha- like, yep. the, and the not knowing, I know my personality, that drives me. Yep. Like, I, I have a hard time dealing with that. Yeah. And, and through that whole period, so we thought we were just dealing with a neurological disease, but it was clear something more was happening. And that's where, uh, the, you know, our, our metabolics doctor um, basically put his hand up and said, hey, we, we think Evan may have. Um, a mitochondrial disease, and we'd like to do some further testing. So, um, so we we went down that path, and it took a year before we got the results back showing that Evan had a mitochondrial disorder. Wow, that sounds like a long year. It was, um, yeah, it was a very very long year. And at this point, are you still accessing resources in Canada, or are you or like once you once you started doing that level of testing, did that branch out into the U.S.? I guess I'm just curious if there's other areas or other. Um, geographies that are more advanced with this type of testing? Like, is this something that's more known in the U.S., less known in Canada, or is it fairly global in terms of the community behind this? It's fairly global now uh, with the community behind but, but at that time, the U.S. were leading the way. Okay. And uh, so it, it took a year before we, we eventually got that um, the, the diagnosis of a mitochondrial disorder. And, and our doctor at the time basically um, said, hey, you know, check out the United Mitochondrial Disease uh, website, which is a, a, the U.S. organization. They've got some great information about the disease. Again, we had never heard of the disease, never, never heard. Before I met you, I had never, you know, not that this is something I researched, but I'd never heard of it. It's not even a, like, oh, yeah, in passing I heard of this, not even a little bit. Which is such a common um, sentiment when I, when I speak to I'm people. I'm sure it is. Like, I'm sure it is. Never heard of but it But almost before. every other one that you mentioned that you believe is there's a correlation there, I've heard of every one of those. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, interesting, eh? Yeah. So, hence the need for that awareness. Yes, and, yes. And, I think this is our, our, today. As our story evolves, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I'm assuming there was no Mito Canada at that point. No. So, so the other thing that our, our doctor recommended, he said, hey, the UMDF, they have a symposium every year. It's in June. And that year, uh, it happened to me in Washington. He said, I recommend you go. You'll, uh, it's kind of like a crash course on the disease. You'll meet uh, other people who are living with the disease. Uh, and... Uh, it'll help you get on your feet in terms of what your the road ahead and and and, and uh, the care management that you need to to think about for so, yourself. So there was a community out there. You did, yes. you literally had to go search, and luckily you had someone, which is how that advice usually gets disseminated. Is someone someone tells someone, and then you hear about it. Yeah. And the other cool part about that conference was they uh, one of the luncheons they they group people geographically based on where they're from. From so uh, so that lunch I sat that's down. Smart in that context, that's really smart. Absolutely. So if you think about it in the U.S., it brings together you know people from from states and they can share information about you know the supports that are available in their state and then you know i sat at the canadian table and met these uh, amazing women who uh you know they're called the canadian mito moms they were uh they're an incredible uh group of women and and energy uh and and they're a few years into this this odyssey and 
share some great information with me that I, that I learned about the disease. Odyssey and, is a good word yeah, for the situation. Absolutely. Uh, and they had been talking about wanting to do something back in Canada uh, to raise awareness. And so we, we kind of made a pact at that lunch that when we get back to Canada, we're going to talk about making something happen. And we did. So when we got back, um, every Sunday night, we'd get on the phone and we'd talk about what it was we'd want to accomplish uh, in Canada around mitochondrial disease. And, and we agreed upon those three things I described earlier. It's, it's raising that awareness, supporting families, and, and funding research. So th- those have been the pillars. Uh, before those. you even had created this, that was the, the mandate. You had your kind of three, this is what we're going to build this thing on. Yeah, it, it took us a while to converge on that, um, to be honest, because there's different organizations out there. No, I appreciate the that, clarity and yeah. you know, yeah. working in with organizations of every shape and size. Like Those three p- pillars don't show up easily. There's lots of competing ideas and competing ways of approaching things and ultimately what's going to get us to where the outcome that we want and and really thinking that through. Mm -hmm. And and then from there, it was like, okay, well, how do we make that happen? Do we become a chapter of this U.S. organization? you know, the must must go to Dystrophy Canada. The, was, the logistics of it. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so we, we had the idea, but then it's like turning that. How do we turn that idea into that impactful action that we want to that we want to see? So we you know we looked at a couple options. One was, uh, like I said, the being a chapter of this U.S. organization. Could we just spin up a chapter and and off we go? Um, the other option was partnering up with uh, Muscular Dy- Dystrophy Canada because uh, they also provided some supports for, for people who were affected more with the, the, the muscular uh, myopathy component of, of the disease. But ultimately what we, what we settled on was we wanted to be able to raise significant funds, which meant we need to be able to issue tax receipts, which yeah. meant we needed to be registered with CRA as an official charity. So that kind of ruled out being a U.S. chapter. Right. And then... Uh, and then, secondly, we also, from a you know, from, from an awareness standpoint, we needed to stand on our own two feet and and not kind of hidden behind another disease like muscular dystrophy. We need to make it clear that this is a standalone disease. This you know, so it's just more about uh, the branding and and the the clarity of of the disease and and, and who it affects was was an important well, piece because increasing awareness and was exactly. one of the pillars for sure, absolutely. Yeah. So dovetailing in with another organization that's already well known. You're you're always going to be. It's, you know, it almost seems funny to talk about this way, but you'll always be in the shadow exactly. of that, and so you won't be able to accomplish one of your goals. But which is a much harder, like to set up a non for profit. Like those things are not easy. Like there's barriers there for, for a reason. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's it's like starting it's like starting any any company. It's yes. uh, and I think there's a misnomer out there that 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 charities are, uh, you know, are. are are, are simple little organizations, but really they're they're bound by the same rules uh, as any other uh, for-profit business in Canada. So there's uh, there's a lot of work involved behind the scenes just to to to, to run an organization. So and depending uh, on oftentimes you know the, the the maturity of that organization, there's a lot of people donating a lot of time that they're there purely because of they believe that this needs to be done. Exactly. It doesn't it doesn't pay well, <laughs> and it takes up a considerable amount of time. But when you've got motivation, and how's your son doing at this point? Is he evolving? Are things are things starting to 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 present differently for him? Yes. Uh, so so it's a, it's a loaded question. Okay. Uh, so the fact that Evan's still with us is amazing, uh, given what he's been through. Uh, he's, he's faced a lot of challenges as over the last 11 years uh, in, in dealing with this disease. So, uh, so he's 15 now? So he's 15. And, and Evan, as a result of his severe brain injury, um, he's a spastic quadriplegic. Uh, he's nonverbal and he's tube fed. He's, he's on a, a 24-7 continuous feed. Um, and so he's, he's basically bound to a, his wheelchair and his bed. Um, 
so for him, as he's grown, he's faced a lot of challenges because of lack of weight bearing, uh, and he, you know, he has very severe scoliosis that's forcing his spine to his spine is like an S shape right now. It's it's crazy, um, which is which is forcing his body to fold over on one of his lungs, so it's starting to affect some of his breathing. Um, but we're still able to manage that okay. um, so far, uh, and Evan. He still has good quality of life, and that's and that hasn't always been the case over the last okay, fifteen. That's years. That's good because, of course, I'm, that's my mind. I'm like, so what? I'm trying to think of it from his perspective, trying to empathize yeah. on something you can't empathize to. But I'm just thinking of this poor little guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of. I don't, I'm going to be like imprisoned in this body that's conspiring against him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to be kind of oversimplified. Yeah. <laughs> and and from what we can see from the you know MRIs and the and the impact on the brain, it, it's more the motor gross motor skills that affected Evan. Okay. So. Uh, we, we think cognitively he is very aware of what's going on. So like you said, he is, we think he's just trapped in there. So he, we treat him like he's uh, a normal person and, and interact with him that way. And unfortunately, he can't verbalize or, or have a consistent form of communication back to us. But we can see through his eyes, he is so dialed in and But engaged. to that point of his own cognition, to treat him anything different would be unkind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so... But to your point, uh, or to your question, I guess uh, Evans Evans doing okay. Uh, he's he's great. with that's us, and he's, he still smiles. He has quality of life, <laughs> and that's the most important thing. He's for not him in right the room, now. but he's the hero of the story. He is. To be, the, you know, <laughs> as I'm is, thinking, I'm like I'm kind of interviewing him in oh, my mind now. I'm like, what does he think? What does he feel? What's his experiences? Yeah. yeah, man. And if one day he could sit behind this mic and tell his story, would be just uh, it would be incredible. The, the door That's is open any time. Yeah. So at this point, I can live his story through you and see the emotion and kind of yeah. the caring. It's, it's, it's kudos to you and, and your wife and your whole net, and your network because you guys, I'm assuming, have a huge support network around you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, no one can go through this alone. It's, uh, it's an incredibly uh, tough journey. It's, uh, it, it forces you to question every aspect of your life. I can, I can, I can, I can imagine. So ha- I understand from people that we know, um, mutual friends that you're also a very accomplished marathon runner. So, and again, I see you sitting here in front of me, very fit. You, you, you seemingly, and I don't want to say this in any way, good or bad, you've managed to take care of yourself through this process as well, which to be a caregiver, you have to give care, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. So how, how has that journey been has been, you're, you're still this person with this yeah. individual identity that, you know, you and I've talked, if you, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be a good caregiver. How has been that juggling act of, of maintaining your own health and your, your family while simultaneously giving 110% to your son? Yeah. You know, we were fortunate in the early days to have uh, a doctor pull us aside when we were sitting at Evan's bedside 24-7. And, and that doctor said, hey, like, we know you love your son. We know you would do anything um, to bring his health back. You got a long road ahead of you here, and you got to pace yourself. You have got to look after your own health, and it really, it really resonated with it. it really hit me. It's just, amazing the right word at the right time, yeah. from the right person, like someone of influence and a doctor. Yeah. You're looking to them, like for for please help me, guide me, tell me, like give me some direction here. Yeah. And and I quickly realized that if we don't look after our own health, we can't look after Evan. It, it really, it really it's non-negotiable. Did, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So from there, I, I literally walked, when I walked out of the hospital that day, I, I, I logged on to a website and I uh, signed up for every running race I could find <laughs> to force myself. Were you a runner before that? I, I was. Um, okay. That know, would be more of a drastic story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I ran, but you know, just, just more for fun. Lunch hour yeah. runs, okay. uh, you know, did the odd race here or there. That's but, amazing, that impact and the direct yeah. action that you took afterwards. Yeah. Kudos. That's, a, that's an amazing story. That's like, I, I want to have my, you know, I looked at, this was like an endurance race. Um, and I, I approached it that way. So I thought, you know, my day-to-day health are, are my training blocks to, to be there mentally and physically to do what do what needs to be done in terms of looking after Evan and, and just managing our lives and keeping it together. And, you know, just thinking of a conversation I had with a mutual friend, Mr. Graham Sherman, around some of the races that he signed up for at the beginning, untrained. Un- but he goes, I can't quit because if I do, what kind of an example am I setting for my kids? <laughs> you know, so I can only imagine as a parent that that's always true, but in your situation to then still lead that life and and to know your son is completely cognitive of who you are and what you are as a person. Like, I think that's, I think it's just part of the package. Yeah. Personally, that's, again, that's my own view, just putting my, my oversight on it and, and, you know, just being in awe of what you've been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And the other piece too is it, like I was saying earlier, if when you go through something like this, it forces you to reevaluate your entire life and, and what is quality of life. When you watch someone who suffers so much, um, and and the you know and, and the emotional burden that we've been having to deal with through all of this, uh, but I also realize it, it's it's thinking about okay, what's what are the most important things in my life, and spending most of your time doing that. So it's it it was a, an easy way to just remove noise and distractions from life, and 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 to be honest, I realized like. Being fit is one of the, the the key pillars that it's like breathing in oxygen and food for us, uh, for both Sarah and I. We recognize that if we don't exercise, then the stress builds and it spills over into all other parts of our lives. So it's just become part of the the fuel that keeps us going. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's a non-negotiable for me because for sure, like even, you know, I was just recently on holidays and you take a week off and you know sometimes you need some recovery time, but by that day four of day five, I can feel mentally like I got to do some push-ups. I got to go r- r- jog around the block. I got to do some squat. I got to do something because it, it changes the way I see the world. Yeah. I go out and kind of flush the body through and that's in a relaxing environment, let alone an environment where there's like there's stressors, like yep. you're, you're, under that, you're under that weight. So you... you, you you're redefining your life, redefining your habits, what's important, but simultaneously you're building and you're being involved with, were you leading Mito Canada at the time or were you just involved, quote unquote? So uh, I was chairing the board. Okay. Um, So yeah, and and, and responsible, essentially still ultimately responsible for for the organization. So now you've got the title, but it's still always been. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Leadership isn't a title. You're you're so right. You know, what we were, you know, we had a mission that we we're trying to accomplish, and and we laid out the the groundwork for that. And the the initial uh, the the initial goals out of the gate, and, and where I wanted to be able to help contribute was just to get an organization up and running on a stable platform that was sustainable over time. And that was that was what I wanted to be able to help and contribute out of, out of the gate. Looking at it more like I don't want to demean it, but like a business. Absolutely, because if yeah. it's not sustainable, it can't help more people. And if we can't help people, then what are we doing? Exactly. And uh, and I thought, okay. I, Again, I don't know where my life is going with Evan, uh, but I wanted to be able to contribute where I could. So, you know, between you know working, you know, a full time job, and uh, trying to to keep fit and, and pursue sort of you know, some of those personal goals and the family, you know, time together and balance all those things, and and the time left over, you know, to to contribute to to Mito Canada at that stage. You know, you you realize 
there's only you, know, you only have so much time, and, and you you need to make that time count. But we got to a point with the organization where we we raised enough funds where we could bring on a part time executive director that could start taking some of these initiatives forward. Because when we okay. initially started, start the organization, giving it some some actual formal structure. Exactly. Yep. And and that's that was the starting point, and that gave us the foundation. And it's been how many a, years ago was that? That was probably seven to eight years ago, okay. I'd say. So we're a couple of years so we've, in. We've got a bunch of storylines kind of running through yeah, yeah. this at the same time yeah. as everything's evolving and you guys are constantly learning more about what it is you're dealing with and the gap in the world that people need to know about this. Yep, absolutely. Um, so fast forward a year ago, you decided to go in full-time. You've you know stepped away from your from your... I guess I'm gonna say your first career, maybe your second. I'm not sure. Your one career now. I was, this sounds like this is the way forward for you. Yeah, this is certainly for now. Um, yeah, yeah for, and, yes, and again, until things evolve again. Yeah. So for the past year, you've been in the role of the CEO and president. How's that changed for you now that you've been able to really? Well, I don't want to say double down, but kind of go all in on your time and your investment. Is it? Is it like exponentially move things forward at a different pace? Yes, yes, it has for sure. Uh, so there's a couple of things there. One was this was my long-term plan, career-wise, was to be able to shift more of my time uh, towards giving back to the community through nonprofit. Um, and, and Inter- it, interesting how the world, how everything conspires to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I was at a point in my career where I was looking to make a change. I was working uh, in, in an executive uh, role with a global company that was pretty demanding, uh, lots of travel. Uh, I was working way too much. Well, these uh, words executive and global company going together <laughs> doesn't mean like, oh, it's a 20 hour work week. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean that. Uh, you know, I was working 60 to 80 hours a week I'm and still sure. feeling like I wasn't doing my job very well. Uh, so that was that was a, a tough work. That's, a, that's another podcast episode. Yeah, 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 no doubt. Uh, but then secondly, you know, I think I had a mentor about 10 years ago that forced me to, to, to write down my career and my life plan. And I Smart. realized... Um, that and you know, Mino Canada was looking for a, a new executive director, and I was just like, this was this was on my on my career plan to maybe a few years premature of what what I when I thought I'd be making that shift, but I thought the opportunity was right um, to, to make that change a year ago. So yeah, here we are. Congratulations on making on making that change. Mm-hmm. And so what what's been happening in the past year? Just give us a little bit because I'm really curious about this organization. And mm-hmm. you know, it's ten years, which is a couple lifetimes in there. Yeah. But I'm assuming there's still, <laughs> I'm, it's probably the end. There's work, the work to be done never goes away when it comes yeah. to something like this. Yeah. Is there? And I, I, maybe I'm jumping to the end here. Maybe this is not the right question. But is there a cure? Is there a is there a way we can get ahead of this? Like, do we know enough to even understand what's driving? Because now, this, if this is the root of a bunch of other things, what's the root of this? Are we there yet, or even on the path to being there? We're definitely on the path to being there, okay. and 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 there are there, there have been some big advancements in the last ten years, and and those those areas of advancements have been around the diagnostics. So first off, it's just you know like I was saying earlier, estimated that only seek to understand what are we yeah, dealing with exactly. here? Exactly. Who's got it? What's what's happening? Yep. So what's diagnostics have have kind of gone from analog to digital, where you know ten years ago we were testing one gene at a time. Um, and there's about 1,300 genes that can can cause a mitochondrial disease. Whereas now you can sequence those genes at about the cost uh, less than the cost of, to, to sequence one gene 10 years ago. That would take. Oh, a, I, I love the exponential. Uh, yeah, the, it, yeah, it is exponential, uh, and and the, the turnaround rate is uh, you know. It, it, can be done in 48 hours now versus, you know, months previously. So the ability to understand what you're dealing with sooner when someone's dealing with some type of, something's going wrong, something's not right. Yep. The ability to address and identify that this is where we, does that give them the ability to, can like, does early diagnosis help? 
it, yeah, just in theory, so early diagnosis, early intervention, unfortunately, one of the challenges with the disease, there's, there's not a whole lot on the intervention front. The okay. uh, mitococktail, uh, as a combination of vitamin supplements, is, is the main form of therapy. Okay, vitamin-based, that's interesting. Yeah. And interesting, exercise is uh, oh. the other main uh, I know main we're, preaching to, each other, we're yeah. preaching to the choir here as exercisers, yeah. but, well, when it's the energy, like, you, you, like again, you don't run the engine, it, it, it deteriorates. Yep. You give it a reason to run, which is exercise. If it's the energy producers of the cell, yep. so therefore increase the demand for energy, it kind of keeps things, I'm, gonna, I'm oversimplifying, but it kind of fleshes things out. Yeah, not only that, but also what they've, they've proven at the cellular level is when you exercise, you actually produce more mitochondria in the cell, and the mitochondria becomes more functional. So... Uh, so, so both efficiency so, so, and inc- the body is an amazing adaptation machine. Yeah. And I used to joke, I, in my background, I did a lot of personal training and fitness and something I've always passionate about. The body will adapt to anything. The couch or the treadmill you choose, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it will adapt. And I think yeah. that that's a really amazing, like, you know, the reason we've survived as long as we have as the human race is because of our abilities, body to adapt. We just need to put it into the right settings. Yeah. Mm. And, and the, the other areas that we're really seeing progress are around like cell therapies and gene therapies. So there's not going to be one cure for mitochondrial disease. There okay. will be a combination of, uh, you know, can be cell therapies, gene therapies. There will be drugs. Uh, there is a, a drug that's in a, a phase three clinical trial right now that's focused more on the, the myopathy side of things. So the people who are experiencing weak, weak muscles. Um, that and that looks promising, uh, but on the cellular side, you know, cell therapy side, you know, things like stem cells are uh, have have some uh, really shown some promise as well. And, and for instance, this is this is a really cool thing to look back upon. It's like, okay, where's you know, what if what impact have we made? and What progress are we seeing? Right. And, and sometimes it's like any job or any hard thing you're doing. Sometimes you you question, are we are we on the right path? Are we making the progress? Uh, but just recently, you know, this was really reinforced here, actually in our backyard in Calgary, with some of the research we funded. So back in 2013, we funded a, a stem cell uh, research project at UFC, uh, and they uh, they completed that study, and then from there they they they've also branched that out into some other projects. Uh, and a year later, in 2014, we funded a, a PhD student to take that work further, and he spent uh, three years working on that. And now just recently, Dr. Timothy Schutt up here at uh, the UFC was awarded a, a big research grant to take stem cells uh, from that work, take stem cells uh, into a potential uh, clinical trial. Um, so in theory, we could have a clinical trial with stem cells for mitochondrial disease in the next one to two years. That's through directly something you guys did. Yep. I mean, it's, it, and it's so plan- important yeah. to celebrate the wins. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also on that diagnostics and front. And here, in, yeah. here in, in, in our city, and, you know, again, we both talked earlier about how much, you know, every time you travel, we realize how much we love Calgary. There's yeah. is so many good things going on here. It's great to hear a story like that where yeah. we're... So are you having conversations with people all around the world now with this with this role that you're in and like as you get more ingrained, I'm assuming, in this community globally? Yes. Um, so it's a, there's several organizations like MitoCan around the world. And obviously, like we talked about in the U.S., Australia... Uh, Italy, UK, um, and and we're we're all pretty close, and we collaborate and share um, resources quite a bit. Uh, but there's also an organization called International Mito Patients, which is which was formed about ten years ago to, to try and play that uh, global nexus role of connecting all the national patient advocacy organizations. Okay. So I just recently was uh, at a conference in uh, in in Rome, Italy. Uh, with international mito patients, uh, looking at w- what are the global objectives of what we want to accomplish uh, um, uh, by bringing together the, the 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 national patient advocacy organizations, and the number one thing coming out of that was we need a global patient registry. We need to better understand what is the 
you know, the population count of, of diagnosed patients, uh, what types of mutations do they have, uh, how are those symptoms presenting, all those types of things. So that will be the starting point for helping, um, helping researchers tap into the, to the, to the patient population, uh, but also it's going to be critically important going forward for uh, um, future studies and research to, um, to, to focus on areas, diff- different uh, types of mutations in areas of the disease. I was going to ask the question, but I think you already did. Like, is there different incidences where it shows up more prevalently in certain populations or geography? But clearly, we don't have that information because we don't have this registry. We don't have a global. We don't have global optics on this on this on this disease. Yeah, anecdotally, the answer is yes. But it, but again, it's it's uh, you know just they're just more observational at this point. But definitely, there's there's specific mutations in certain geographies that seem to be prevalent. Again. Not quite understood why, uh, but but those well, are some of the early stage of like okay from a scientific method okay I've kind of pseudo got an observation here now we need to try to prove it break it understand if it can hold up but you need data to do that yeah and and this is where you know you you nail it data it's all about data and and volume of data so the more patients and the greater the population that you have of your uh, of your of your your patient database. Um, the the more uh, information you have to better understand the complexity of the disease and how, and the variations. Uh, well, that the pool board. of data and of course with the asterisk accurate accurate data allows you to then capitalize on you know whether it's machine learning or any of the technologies we have today that are getting all that you still need a such a rich pool of data to make them to allow them to to do their thing do their yeah. thing quote unquote yeah. efficiently. Yeah. So you guys are moving down that path. So this is part of the evolution. And, yeah. yeah. Okay. And pa- patient registry is just one piece of it, but yep. um, you know the 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 beauty of the uh, the progress of technology is is going is, is a game changer in the space. So, uh, if you think back, you know, ten to fifteen years ago, when you know the, the human genome project you know came along, it was billions of dollars to, to sequence the human genome. Like, you can almost do that on, on a thousand dollar unit today. Like it, you know, that's amazing it, and to that exponential. Yeah, and, and and that is your your your, your the blueprint of your body. Uh, it, it it shows all your defects, <laughs> everything. So the answers it's all lie. in absolutely it's, it's all it's, in there. It's all in there, and and you touched on it earlier. You said you know the the answers are are there. Now we just need to find them. So one of the visions that we have is is creating called MitoCode, and it's a data informatics platform that's going to bring together um, all the the genomics data uh, from sequencing uh, patients to all the brain imagery data to all the clinical data to the patient registry data and any other data sets we can bring together and this is where we can start to leverage artificial intelligence cross analyze those those different pockets of data against each other to look for what what story does it tell yeah you know, because first comes observation, then comes insights, then comes action. Yeah. So you're at you're at the gathering. We need, we need the data to be able to make the observation. Yeah. So it's great to hear that it's moving forward. And you're right. Like so many things, technology has allowed us to amplify our ability to get to results faster, and you know, basically process things at a, a pace that took months, ten years ago, or years, ten years ago, and now now take now take days. Yeah. So in terms of to touch on back in your own story a little bit, um, I understand that you hold a few uh, Guinness World Records. Yeah, I've got Which, five right got now. Got five, okay. Because well, again, I think it's really important, and I think one of the things I I want to really share with the listeners is: here's an individual yourself who is faced with a huge challenge in your life that you embraced, and you you know not to overquote a saying, but you leaned in. But at the same time, you didn't set yourself aside, and I think that's so easy. And I talk to so many people like I don't have time, and this is more important, and I'm going to take care of myself later, or that you didn't do that. And I think that's a, that's a real secondary inspiration, like to, just what you did to support your son. I think in itself, standalone, is an incredible story. But you didn't. You didn't let, you didn't do it completely the sacrifice of yourself. And I think the Guinness Book of World Records. This is a fun way to bring that forward. I'm going to drop a mention because you and I talked about it. I just got back from Ireland. I went to the Guinness storehouse and I realized that 
Guinness World's World Records and Guinness are one and the same, which I had no idea. I felt silly when I, I'm like, how did I not know this? <laughs> and you said you had a similar experience not long ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was originally done, what was it, to help dispel what guys were basically bullshitting over beers. <laughs> and Guinness said, hey, why don't we actually put together a list of these things of like, oh, so-and-so did this this many times to just add fodder to the conversation, which I thought was, you know, we talk about content marketing in, in our world. Like, it's a new idea. It's not new. Yeah. <laughs> it's been around since the 1800s. Yeah. But anyways, tell me a little bit about some of the Guinness. Uh, I'm sure there's stories around these things. Maybe yeah. share a few of those. Yeah. Well, you know, and this is, you know, one of the things that's is really cool about these Guinness World Records. And, if, and, and, and as I look back, a lot of things in my life were just kind of converging. So, that the, you know, like I said earlier, how, you know, exercise and running became such an important part, but also that became my community. The people I met through running uh, were, were people who became, you know, some of my best friends. Uh, and they're there for us in those times of need. They're, they're the people who are dropping food off at your doorstep when you're living at the, at the hospital and those types of things. Um, but also as we were growing Mito Canada and, and we're looking for ways to raise that awareness and, you know, we'd be on our Sunday runs and the guys were like, Hey, let's, you know, let's do something really cool at the Calgary marathon this year. Let's, let's maybe tie ourselves together and run like a centipede. And another guy's like, maybe it's a Guinness world record around that. And, you know, again, one conversation leads to another and a guy, you know, you know, finds this record. So the first record we went after was, was back in 2013 when we were selected as one of the, the feature charities of the Calgary Marathon, we said, okay, well, let's, let's make this big. Like, we've got one opportunity yep. here. We've got a stage. Uh, and, let's uh, make it an event. Yeah. And so we had this idea of, um, of, of running together to try and maybe simulate a mitochondria, you know, the cell with mitochondria in there and, and being connected and tied I love, together. I love it. Yep. Uh, and, and that's how this, this initial record uh, for the, the, the fastest marathon by a linked team uh, evolved. So we ended up you know, getting 10 people and and literally uh, connecting, tethering ourselves together with a uh, with, with surgical tubing and and attempting to run a, a two fifty five marathon to, to to get this Guinness World Record because we thought, you know, what a great way to raise awareness about the disease, uh, but also to have there's fun so along the way. Meta- there's so many metaphors in there about work as a team. You yeah. got to support your guy because you're tied together. Like we're it, that's amazing. The the layers of you know whether yeah. it's for any layer of inspiration yeah. you want to pull from that story is there. <laughs> and at the same same time, we were we were creating a. a, a uh, sort of a sport platform called Team Mito, which is just a way to engage people to do these types of things. Who, who individuals out there who want to make a difference above and beyond just their their individual uh, goals and their races. Uh, and we, we we came up with the, the the slogan of competing for those who can't and or, or running for those who can't. So when we when we tether ourselves up to 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 take on this Guinness World Record, we were out there running for others. And I tell you, the 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 inspiration and the the, the extra energy that people derive from knowing that they're doing this for, for others that are suffering and um, it is, has been tremendous. Well, the sense of purpose bigger than yourself. We read about it. Corporations strive to create it. Individuals are about it. They look for it. You guys embrace it at that, at that, at a, at a level that like permeated across so many areas of what you're doing. It's amazing. Yeah, it makes me yeah. smile just thinking about it. Yeah. And, and that, you know, so that was, that was a really cool record. Uh, we raised, uh, over a hundred thousand dollars, uh, you know, with, with 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 that that run, and then that just stimulated other ideas. It's like one idea leads to to three more, which leads crazy to crazy ideas more. that work create other crazy yeah. ideas. And I love it. Mm. So so then the next one was uh, a, a couple of years later, uh, a friend of mine, Dave Proctor, who's a, is, is quite the ultra runner, uh, came to me and said, "Hey, I've got this idea. I want to run on a treadmill for twenty four hours and raise money for Mito Canada." 
I'm like, that's crazy. I said, hey, if you're going to do that, you're going to need That's gonna, crazy, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I said, well, if you're going to do that, you know, you're going to need lots of help around you. So why don't we look at, is there, are there some, some team records we can do with this? So we ended up attempting six Guinness World Records on treadmills uh, back in 2016, which we did and were successful. Uh, and I tell you, you know, a Guinness World Record is, you know, the physical feat is one thing, but I tell you, the administrative paperwork to to demonstrate you've I've, met. I've heard, I've cool. heard. I mean, that is equally as challenging. So, yeah, so that led to, you know, to, to six more records, six or seven more records there. Uh, and then um, and then in 2017, we had the idea of, for, for Canada's sesquicentennial, uh, of bringing together 150 people to raise $150,000 and uh, running a linked marathon of, of 150 people. So uh, <laughs> that's that that led to our, if you our, our 10, biggest. If you thought 10 was challenging, let me yeah, introduce yeah. you to our 150. Yeah. So so we ended up bringing together. We, we didn't quite get 150 people, but we got 112 people and broke two Guinness World Records back in 2017. Uh, so yeah, so we've had a lot of fun along the way. I mean, it's just really brought that raise money, community. raise awareness, yeah. embrace the community. Yeah. Probably built friendships like the, you know because when you go through a, sh- a shared experience like that, the depth of of connection you create with people is amazing. Yeah, incredible. You yeah. can't you can't fake that. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's about community. Like we've we've really built a community around you know around Mito Canada and the awareness that we're we're raising through Team Mito. What's next? Uh, any other Guinness uh, records are going to fall here? Because I'm going to talk about this over cocktails yeah. this weekend. For sure. So well, yeah, so next year is Mito Canada's 10 year anniversary. Okay. So we've got some ideas floating around, and one of them is: Wouldn't it be cool if we could do ten Guinness World Records uh, next year, and just ten and ten? So ten and ten. Why not? Yeah. So we've come up with a whole bunch of ideas. Uh, so this is a call out to your listeners as well. If you've got a cool idea and you're looking for uh, a way to bring that to life, we can help you do that. A bunch uh, of other individuals that are equally as as crazy to try just about anything. Exactly. Yeah. No, this is also a huge opportunity to shout out. It's about awareness. It's about telling stories about real people who have accomplished incredible things in our community, which I think specifically, you know, anyone can be listening. But in Western Canada, we've had some bad stories of the last few years. So to yeah. take something like this and you know, and to come from the, the the traumatic experience that you had and to turn it into as many positives as you can, because because it was a non negotiable, yeah. <laughs> turning into something better. So um, anybody wants to get involved in Guinness World Record, so what's the best way to get a hold of you? Is it Mito Canada? Is it you directly? Yeah, just yeah, reach out to me directly. You can you know you can find me on the social platforms, or you can just email me at uh, blaine.penny at mitocanada.org. Yeah, yeah, reach out. I know you're on LinkedIn. I know that Mito Canada is out there. And uh, is there anything coming up in the short term? Like obviously the big the big one. Do you ha- do you have any events or things that uh, if someone wanted to? I guess I, I want to be careful with this one. Like if someone feels that this is an issue they may be dealing with, or that they feel that they've got some other challenges, and hey, maybe this because when you're dealing with something. You're always looking for that hope or that next level of understanding. Yeah. Is it? Do they go to their doctor? Do they reach out to you? Maybe like there's probably people listening. Who are like, wow, I don't know. Is this me? Is this someone I know? Yeah. Where would they go? Yeah. So if if you go to our website, uh, you know we have we have a section on there about well, first of all, you know, learning and understanding what the disease is, and then also we have a, a section called Mito Life. So it's kind of more about you know the uh, living with the, with the disease. But one of the things we have on there is called the Mito Test. So we, we've had you know several people oh, interesting a bit of a self diagnosis. Yeah, because, helping people to understand what they may be dealing with. Because there's a lot of people, and you probably know people who have a friend of a friend or just who've. who've who've got some weird disease, they don't quite know what it is. Uh, but ultimately, it's like the question is, you know, what, what could it be? And by doing a mito test, it looks at the different sort of symptoms that are presenting and saying, hey, is, is it enough here that sort of multi-system, typically if it affects three, three systems in your body, is sort of one of the flags for, for mitochondrial disease. 
Uh, and then it's talking about your to your family physician. Say, hey, should we uh, uh, get a referral to a metabolics doctor and and do some genetic testing to see what's going on here? And overall, and again, and not, not leaning to the ups and downs or the woes of the, of the Canadian medical system, but are doctors open if people bring this? Because I know everyone's a bit of an armchair self-diagnosis these days, and I know there's lots of challenges for doctors because we all have the internet and we're all yep. doing research. Do you find doctors are open to this? Uh, is, it, is it becoming something that they may have heard about now where maybe 10 years they hadn't? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, but but there's, 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 still, um, there's still doctors out there that... Uh, uh, like to think that they have all the answers, but for, for the most part, and certainly in my experience, um, the physicians are they're very open to to the dialogue, especially where they're where they don't have answers. Um, they're right. they're they're looking for they're, they're looking for answers in in any direction. So if you can bring something to them that they haven't considered before, in my my experience, they're like absolutely let's let's go down that path and and either you know rule it out or you know um, or or, or go further with with diagnostics that may could could lead to uh, right. a diagnosis I, I couldn't you know I, I do believe we're, we're entering a time where people are taking more responsibility for their own health and it's it's not someone else's job to tell me what's good and what's bad I need yep. to be aware and we're in the age of information but sometimes we get information that we don't have the skills to process it and having a yep. team i.e. your doctor being one of your one of your team that you can actually have a dialogue with I think is yep. seek out seek out those people that you can have a dialogue with yep. I'm not looking for a diagnosis I'm looking for a conversation yep, exactly yep. Uh, Blaine thank you so much for coming in and and please you know from my heart if extend my invitation to Evan at any time <laughs> that he wants to come in and be on the show I would love to I would love to chat with him and I wish you uh, all the best and uh, I feel that you and I will cross paths again. So, Blaine, thank you so much. It was an honor chatting with you. Thank you, Tyler.